How's everyone doing this morning? Yeah, come on, let's do this. All right, well, I'm excited uh, to be up here this morning speaking to you. I think that uh, really God's got something that's been on my heart this entire week. And uh, it's not very often that I have an opportunity. It's kind of funny, this, it's actually happened the last time I spoke as well, that Jonathan and Reagan, our pastors, are not here this morning. So I could get away with saying whatever I want and, you know... They're, uh, they're not here to check me on it. So, uh, just kidding. I, I honestly believe God's got something powerful and big for us this morning that he wants to, uh, to do here in our midst. And so, uh, I really just want to, uh, to be faithful to that. So, what we're going to do first and foremost is just open in prayer. I believe God uh, is going to speak to us this morning. He's going to speak to our hearts. And so, let's just ask him uh, to come and meet us right where we're at. God, we thank you for uh, your goodness, your faithfulness. God, that you are you're near, you're not far away. God, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us uh, this morning, that you would open up and illuminate your word to our hearts, God, that it wouldn't just be uh, a cool message that we hear and then we go about our day. Uh, God, I pray that this would uh, do something powerful in us that would uh, change and shape the very way that we think about who you are. God, we thank you, we love you. In your name, amen. All right, so uh, we have been going through a series called Overall and In All. It's basically going through the entire book of Colossians. Last week we started in Colossians 1. Jonathan talked about the preeminence of Christ. It's kind of a fancy word. I'll get to that in just a minute. Today we're going through Colossians 2 and we're talking about the whole idea of being alive. What does that look like, being alive? You're like, well, duh, I'm sitting here, I'm alive, so obviously I know what that looks like. But there is something that uh, is really powerful about the whole concept and idea of being alive. And so, uh, really what I want to do here is just go through and read a a little bit of Colossians 1, kind of recapping what we did last week. That word preeminence that Jonathan talked about, it really just means superiority and excellence. In other words, it literally means most excellent of excellence. So like the cream of the crop, the absolute best that there is. That is what the word preeminence means. And so uh, Colossians 1, 17 and 18 actually has a really good uh, descriptor of this. It says this, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's basically the, the gist of what our series is about, that Jesus is over all and he's in all. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. That phrase right there, the firstborn from the dead, uh, is really powerful. That phrase, firstborn from the dead, is is critical to what Paul sets up actually in chapter 2. It's critical to what he sets up. Remember, Jesus, he died. He was at the cross. He died. He was in the grave for three days and then ultimately resurrected. Came back from the dead. And the cool thing is, if you look through that entire uh, story, and the question that I ask myself is, okay, like, who raised Jesus from the dead? Was it himself? Was it God the Father? Was it the Holy Spirit? In fact, when you read throughout the entirety of of Scripture, it's, it's a combination of all of them. All of them raised Jesus from the dead, which is really cool. But the thing is, just coming up and being raised from the dead isn't that impressive. You're like, oh, wow, like being raised from the dead, of course that's impressive, right? If you look through the Gospels, there's actually three other instances where people got up from the dead. There was uh, the instance of the widow's son in Luke chapter 7. 
There's the instance of uh, Jairus' daughter, who was 12 years old, who, who uh, was raised from the dead in Mark chapter 5. And then in John chapter 11, there was Lazarus who got up from the dead. And the thing about Lazarus that's interesting is he was dead for two weeks. And there was, yeah, it was, it's kind of interesting when Jesus actually walked into the actual grave and raised him from the dead, there was, the stench was overwhelming. It was, it was unbelievable, the, the stench of it. Uh, but he got up from the dead. He raised from the dead, which is really cool. Now, the difference between every single one of those stories and Jesus being raised from the dead is that every single one of those people, after they were raised from the dead, went on to live a totally natural life and die. Right? Jesus, on the other hand, when he got up from the dead, he never died again. And that is kind of like mind-blowing when you think about it, that Jesus physically is alive today, right now. He's physically alive in the presence of God right now. And that is so hard for our minds to get our head around, right? It's like, wow, like that is mind-blowing when you think about that. But it's so powerful because this is really what Paul is talking about the entirety of chapter 2. And that's what we're going to be jumping into. Uh, as I read through these scriptures, we're going to go through a bunch of verses here. I want you to pay close attention to the idea of being alive. You see it littered throughout all of these verses here, okay? So try, in your mind, when you're reading through these, point out and remember, okay, like, that has something to do with being alive. That has something to do with being alive. Just kind of keep that in your mind as we read through these. So let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6. 6 and 7. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Roots growing, being alive. And let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Uh, So in verse 6, Paul is continuing the theme of preeminence. Remember, Christ is most excellent of what, what's excellent. He's the one who is most excellent. So it's real simple, honestly. It says it right there. Just follow him, right? Follow him. So simple. It's not so easy, though, right? You know there's a difference between something that's easy and something that's simple. Uh, following Christ requires, ultimately, that there's a sacrifice that we need to make. And I remember uh, somebody told me this once, and it, it just like it resonated so strongly that if you're in a position where you're comfortable, you never have to get out of your comfort zone, you'll never experience growth. Does that make sense? You'll never experience growth if you stay in your comfort zone and never have to be challenged or confronted or convicted of what God is calling you to do. Sometimes stepping out requires a boldness that's uncomfortable. And, and I think that's so important for us to remember. As you think about, here this verse, it talks about roots growing in. I remember when I was younger, I had, um, I, don't, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm, I'm tall. Um, I'm six foot three, the tallest one in my family. Uh, my father's six foot, which is pretty tall, but uh, my, historically, if you look throughout my entire history of my family, I'm actually the tallest person ever in our family. That I can go back, and, you know, there might be somebody way, way back, like 15 generations ago, but uh, I remember when I was younger, uh, around the time I was about 14, 
I was sitting uh, in bed every single night in just pain, constant pain all the time in my knees because, you know, it's, it's the growing pains that you experience when you, you know, you hit puberty, you start to grow, you shoot up really fast. It's just really painful, honestly. Like, your knees are just swollen, and it just, it just felt like somebody was taking a baseball bat to my knees every single day. And I knew, it's like, man, like, I know I'm growing because I feel the pain. It's not comfortable. When you see roots that are growing and digging in, they have to go through sometimes hard soil. It's not a very easy process, right? Things that are rocky and tough, it's like, man, these roots are digging in, and it's, it's, it's a brutal process. And sometimes it's, it's slow and painful. But what does he say? Your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Now, one of the things that uh, I want to point out here is that uh, contextually, there was a number of Gentile converts. Gentiles are people who weren't Jews, okay? So everybody else in the world that wasn't a Jew at that time is a Gentile. The Gentiles, there were a ton of people who were coming to Christianity, coming to Christ, and saying, okay, like, I want to follow Christ. And uh, one of the big problems that they were facing at that time was uh, the, the, the Jewish people who converted, who, who followed Christ, who started following Christ at that time, they were saying, hey, listen, in order for you to be a good Christian, you have to follow all the Old Testament laws and rules, all the, the regulations, the Sabbaths, all these things, you have to follow all of it. It was putting undue amounts of restrictions on people, and this whole uh, chapter is really Paul confronting a lot of that. And really all he says is, hey, follow Christ. That's the message. Very simple, right? Follow Christ. It's not about the rules. It's not about following the regulations and all those things. Hey, follow Christ. Sometimes, uh, personally, I mean, I'll be honest, like, I, I do wonder myself if I'm like, man, am I really growing? I don't know if you guys are like that, like, personally. It's like, and I'm not talking about just, like, physical growth. I'm talking about, like, okay, like, are, am I growing, like, in my faith? Am I coming cri- closer to Christ? I wonder that sometimes. And uh, I think it's really amazing that when you're so close to the growth, sometimes you don't know it's actually happening because it's your life and you're like, okay, like you're in the battle, you're experiencing it. Uh, my daughter is two years old, almost. She's, she's approaching two. And uh, my wife, she takes a whole bunch of pictures uh, of her all the time and posts them on Facebook and, you know, just throughout her entire life up to this point. And it's cool because on Facebook, there's this like, hey, one year back, you posted this picture. And so like over the course of the last like few months, we're just constantly getting these pictures of like our daughter a year ago. And when you look at her, you're like, oh my gosh, she doesn't even look like the same person. It's like amazing the amount of growth. But when people like my parents come and visit, they're just amazed at the amount of growth that they see in her. It's like, wow, like, there's, there's a lot that's happening physically with her. Her hair's growing, her facial features are different, she's a lot taller, she still has a really big pot belly, and hopefully that'll go away at some point, but, you know, it is pretty cute if you haven't seen it. But it's the same thing, the, the banners are back here, they have a one-month-old, right? And, and for them, it's like, okay, like, they're in the, every single day, you know, feeding this tiny little human being, and it's like, are you even growing? Like, what does it even look... But for every single one of us, it's like, oh my gosh, like, Bellamy is growing big. Like, you can see it. It's awesome. So, 
Anyway, that's one of the things that I want to just encourage each and every one of us with is like, when we're so ro- close to the, to the growth, sometimes we don't know what's happening, but just encourage you, man, keep growing, keep, uh, keep following Christ. Let's jump over to Colossians, Colossians 2, uh, verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather from Christ. Verse 9, this one is a huge kicker. Um, I, I encourage every single person in this room, uh, I don't know if some of you might think like, wow, like it's horrible, don't write in your Bible or anything. Like, I'd encourage you, underline this verse, highlight it, write it down in your notes, go back to it regularly. Verse 9 is such a critical verse uh, scripturally, across all of scripture. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. For in Christ lives all the fullness of of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. I'm going to come back to verse 10 uh, a little bit later, but I really want to heavily emphasize verse 9 because this is one of those verses that's really important um, in uh, understanding a certain doctrine of who Jesus is, right? So if people are saying, hey, like, is Jesus God? That verse basically proves it right there. It says, In Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human form. You see Jesus as 100% God, 100% man. Does that mean that he's 200% something? No. Is he 50% God? No. He's not 50% God, not 50% man. He's 100% God, 100% man, simultaneously. The math doesn't work. Yes, I understand that. Um... But that's one of those powerful statements of who Christ is that I think every single one of us can we just we can keep going back to uh, as a reminder. Let's jump forward to uh, verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised not by the physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Verse 13. You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. There's so much here. Like, I could go for a long time on this, but for everybody's sake, I won't do that. Uh, I'll give you the, the brief synopsis. Here it is. You were dead. You are not anymore. Okay? Jesus, I think this is a, this is a big thing that I think a lot of uh, people who grow up going to church believe is that I was a Christian and, you know, ultimately at some point I had to make a decision and repent. And so, but I was, I was a good person, but now I'm, or I was a, I was a, I was a bad person. Now I'm a good person. Okay. I was a bad person because I was going to church, but I really didn't understand it. But then I got it one day and now I'm a good person. That's not the reality of what this says. What this says was, that Jesus doesn't make bad people good, he makes dead people alive. Did you catch it? That's really important. It's important for every single one of us to realize. 
Because when I went to, uh, I grew up, you know, my, my family, we would attend church every single week. I went to a Christian elementary school, middle school, high school, went to a Christian college, Christian college groups, you know. I, I went to church regularly. I was religious about it, if you will. But here's the deal. That doesn't minimize the impact of the sin that I had committed before God. Just because I did all of these religious activities, it doesn't mean anything over the fact that I was a hopeless, broken sinner with no hope. Completely hopeless. That if it was up to God at any moment throughout that entire time, regardless of the activity that I was doing, he very well could have said, hey, Rob Zima, guess what? (laughs) You're going to stop breathing right now because of how hopeless you are. Every single breath that I took at that point was a total act of grace by God. The fact that I'm here before you is a total act of grace from God. I wasn't a bad person who grew up in a Christian home. When I repented, something changed. And that thing that changed was I'm no longer dead. I'm made alive. Christ has brought me from the brink of death, from death itself to being alive. That is so critical for us to understand. And I think that a lot of times, I'm I'm just going to go there, I think that that people have this uh, tendency to believe that when I'm submitting myself to Christ, when I'm following Him, that it's just a bunch of rules and restrictions and things that I can't do. Does anybody ever feel like that? Like, I, uh, like I, can't, I can't do the fun things that I want to do. I have to like, be a little bit more disciplined, and it's just a bunch of rules that I have to follow. I think there is something about that thinking that's unhealthy. In Galatians, it says, uh, Galatians chapter 5, it says that it's for freedom's sake that you were set free, so don't submit any longer to a yoke of slavery. And I think that that's the problem, is that people think that the rules and restrictions are ultimately the thing that set you free, and that's not true. The thing that sets you free is Christ. Christ offers you freedom for the sake of freedom. That living under a yoke of, of slavery, living under sin, the thing about sin that's, that's, that's just mind-blowing is it continually is the process of being promised something that it can never deliver hey, you'll find fulfillment when you do these things. You'll find acceptance when you do these things. And that's just not true. It never works. It never works. The big thing for me before I repented and surrendered my life to Christ and began following him with everything I had was that it was just identity. I wanted to be, I wanted identity in what everybody else thought of me. And I don't know if you know this, but everybody's opinions and ideas of who you are it's just so fluid. It changes all the time. So, and it's, it's very um, dependent on how you perform. So, for example, um, I would hang out with graduate school friends and just go out on the weekends. And, and the reason why I would go out and party with these guys was because it's like, oh, they like me. Like, I want to be liked by them. You know? That's the thing that's important. The reason why I would go to church on Sunday mornings was because, oh, I, I can be liked by these people. Right? It was an identity issue. And that thing, it, it, was, it was such a, a terrible thing that, 
Satan was just hitting me with that constantly. That sin, it's just, hey, like, this will make you fulfilled. This will give you the ultimate fulfillment of your life. And it never, it never worked. It never worked. It never brought true fulfillment. I think about it like this. Um, uh, when it comes to like, the rules or submitting your life to Christ, um, when I married my wife, we stood at the altar and uh, we said these words. I promise I'll be true and loyal to you, patient in sickness, comforting in sorrow, and forsaking all others, keep myself only unto her, on, only unto you, as long as we both shall live, right? That's a, that's a vow that I made to my wife. Now, can you imagine if I stand at the altar and I say to her, whoa, wait a minute, like, I don't like these rules, hang on, like, I have to, like, I have to submit to you. I have to, I have, you know, what if I just want to go, like, with some, you know, hang out with somebody else? Like, you know, you'll forgive me, right? Like, if I, if I commit adultery against you, you'll forgive me. It's not that big of a deal, you know? Like, ultimately, you'll, you'll take me back. It's like, no, that's like bananas, right? She would probably slap me across the face and walk away. Like, and I would have, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, like that makes total sense. Who does that? At the altar, nobody does that. Why? Because they understand that the, the importance is the relational connection between those two people forever. You're making a vow, you're submitting to each other, and ultimately you're doing it, you're making these vows for the betterment of the relationship, not only between you and that other person, but for the sake of that other person and you as well. It's a two-way road. Does that make sense? Do you guys follow? And a lot of times that's like not the mentality we have when it comes to Christ. When it comes to Christ, we see him up here, we're down here, we have to follow these rules, and we're trying to work our way up to there. And the truth is, that's hogwash. It's garbage. It's not true. The reality is that when we come to Christ, we're made alive. We're already put up here. It's not about following the rules. It's not about trying to be perfect or working in a, in a state of perfection to ultimately come to Christ. It's like, no, like we're on equal footing. And obviously, like I don't want to break your heart. Like, God, I love you so much. I don't want to break your heart. So at the end of this verse, I really want to go back to it. He said, He shamed them. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. What did He disarm them of? What did He disarm Satan of? Death. He disarmed Satan from death. Satan was using death as a weapon against people. But guess what? from Jesus' sacrifice and death on the cross, because he was the, the very first person to get up from the dead, never to die again, that offers every single one of us hope that that will happen for each and every one of us too. So it's like, hey, like that one tactic you got in your playbook of, guess what? I'm going to kill you. Guess what, Satan? Uh, yeah, I don't think so anymore. Good luck with that. That's the thing that makes Christianity so powerful, that makes following Christ so powerful is because the one weapon that he's got against us is completely gone. It's wasted. Check out what uh, Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18 to Peter. I talked about this uh, about a month and a half ago, actually, this entire 
exchange between Peter and Jesus. Uh, I'm not going to rehash the whole thing. Uh, if you want to, you can go ahead on our website and check that, uh, that, that uh, message out. I highly encourage you to do it. I just want to look at this one specific reference. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, it says this. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. Jesus is saying, listen, powers of death, the whole church, the growth of the church, what's going to happen worldwide and globally, death is not going to be able to take it down. It's gone. It is completely eradicated and removed from the equation. I don't know about you, but if you are following Christ and you realize, hey, like, I got nothing to lose in this matter, what am I going to lose? My life? Oh, big deal. That's pretty hard to beat. I don't know about you, but the fact that I don't have to die? Heck yeah. I'm all about that. Jesus is telling this to Peter when Peter had a revelation of who Christ was. Death has no power because we're made alive in Christ. And despite the numerous attempts throughout history to eradicate the church, they've all failed. Now you can read historically. I mean, Paul, for example, the guy who wrote Colossians was the very, on the very cutting edge of literally murdering the very first Christians, trying to take the church out. And ultimately, his life, and Paul even says it himself, you can, you can check it out, he says, I am the chief of sinners. I am the most unholy, the most sinner, the, the greatest sinner of all sinners. The dude was literally killing Christians. And he's now writing two-thirds of the New Testament, the thing that we see today, that has been so instrumental in the growth of the church. Because God completely took a hold of him and changed him from the inside out. He was dead and he was made alive. That's the power that this has. So what do we do with this? One of the things that, um, like I don't have like a very specific, here are the three things that you can do this week, so on and so forth. I really wanted to bring this message to every single one of us just as a reminder of the power of God. The power that Christ has in every single one of our lives. That that's something that each and every one of us, as we go throughout our week, we can reflect upon. Say, hey, listen, like God, like I want to submit to you not because I'm trying to follow the rules or because I want to um, you know, just follow a religious set of system or beliefs or any of that stuff. It's like, no, I'm submitting to you because I want to feel alive. I want to believe that you have nothing but the good stuff for me. I want to follow you because, because I'm in passionate love with you. And right now, we're going to transition into communion, and I, I want to circle back to that verse that I, I mentioned earlier in Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Let me read it again. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every rule and authority. You look, the word communion is actually made up of two words. It's community and it's union. The community part of it is that we're coming into community not only just with with each other, but also with Christ. That when we come into community with each other, 
we come into community with Christ, there's unity there. There's something powerful that happens in that. And when we partake, we're not doing it just because it's a religious ceremony, but it's, it's more of a reminder of who Christ is. It's a reminder, yes, God, you are preeminent. You are most excellent of what's excellent. That is who you are. That is something that we remember. And the Bible's pretty clear that those who uh, haven't made a decision to follow Christ, who haven't repented, it's, it's important that you not partake in communion because uh, Paul talks about it, it brings judgment upon the body. It brings judgment on this community. And we don't want to do that. We want to be fully honoring to who God is. And so uh, we would just encourage you and strongly request, hey, like if you, if you haven't submitted your life to Christ, if you haven't made the decision to follow Him, if you're not surrendered to Him, that you not partake. Uh, there's no shame. No one's kind of keeping an eye out. Ooh, who is it that didn't take? And any, We're not doing that, okay? We just want to be honoring and respectful to the body here. So uh, that's what we would ask. You know, if you would like to make a decision for Christ, hey, I'd love to chat with you. After our time together, if you want to come and talk to me, I'd love to walk you through, hey, what does it look like to follow Christ? What does it look like to, to surrender your life to him? What does it look like to live abundantly? to have that abundance. So here's what we're going to do. Marcel's going to come on up. Uh, he's going to just strum a little, play a little guitar. The bread and the cup are in the back of the room. Uh, there's two tables. Before you go back and grab the elements for us to take collectively, I want us to, to sit and reflect on two things. Number one, is there any open